You guys stepped it up. Good job. All right. We can look around and see all kinds of reasons not to feel joyful. Joy is not felt. We straighten our spines. Needing constant rediscovery. Joy in pain. Joy in journeying. Joy in parting. This is the joy that wells up from us. The thoughtful gift. The broken thing mended. This is the joy given to us. To sacrifice and be blessed. Joyful, joyful. What we're going to do next is we're going to do this ancient prayer. And here's what I would just want to stress again. It's not like we're just going through the motions here. Jesus taught us to pray this prayer. And this prayer is an amazing prayer. And when Jesus is teaching it, it's full of stuff that, it, that is rich. So let's listen to the words as we pray. And let's again position our hearts. So pray with me. Our Father who art in heaven... Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. And so just as we talk about Advent, as we talk about waiting with expectation, as we talk about waiting uh, with hope and with peace and with joy and with love, I was waiting uh, this week and a couple weeks ago for um, some cups that we were going to get in for the church here. We have these, these tumblers that we ordered and uh, our, our person that's in charge of First Impressions, a.k.a. making people feel welcome, said, hey, why don't we get some tumblers? We can put the logo on them. We can fill those with candy, and we can put, like, a gift card in there, and we can, you know, have uh, information about the church. I said, that's awesome, dude. Let's do it. And so we order these tumblers, and they're pretty sweet, and they come in, and if you guys are design people at all, or you have, there's something to the eye that you can tell center and not centered, and a little bit to the right or a little bit to the left, and you know, if you have that in you, you know because you see something off-centered that's supposed to be centered, and you're like, the eye starts doing its thing. So we get these tumblers in, and I'm excited, right? So I crack open the box, I'm like, hmm, <laughs> Okay. Justified left. The logo is justified left. And what it makes you want to do is it makes you want to turn the cup slightly. That means the pour hole would be to the right. And then the drink would end up on your right shoulder. Because I can't drink it if it's off-centered, right? And so I called the company and I said, hey, we have a problem. I said, I, even, I feel like a, like a jerk I mean, honestly, like, I, I don't like that kind of stuff. I was like, but I just, 
the proof that you sent had them centered. Now, you guys are thinking, this is just a cup. It has a raised lip, though, so there is a center line. If it was just a normal lip, it wouldn't matter, okay? And so I said, is there any way that we can fix that? Oh, they were fabulous. They were like, yes, absolutely not a problem. We'll reorder them. We'll get it straightened out. I'll talk to production. And then they got it rolling, all right? They, the production person emailed me. I said, here's the pictures of what's going on. They're like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. It was not a week later. Uh, the new package arrives. I'm like, score, because we want to do this for the new year. Open up. Okay. <laughs> These are justified right. <laughs> Do you guys see that? It's like this, okay? Or if you switch it, it's like, okay. So what we decided, though, we want to stay really culturally relevant here. So when we get the new ones in, we're just going to hand them out with party affiliation. <laughs> right, okay. And so, we just want to, we want to really stay, really just, okay. And so, we just, yeah, so, I emailed again, I'm like, hey, like, you got it right, like, justified right, like, it's not centered again, <laughs> and so, they're like, well, what do you want to do? I'm like, like I'm centered, but <laughs> like, so we're going to have another thing coming in. We're going to have 450 tumblers. <laughs> I mean, just look forward to gifts. <laughs> if you're a regular here, you're going to get one. It's going to be right or to the left, though, okay? <laughs> Newcomers are getting centered ones, <laughs> okay? Um, sorry. And how are we going to determine that? Well, I decided this morning that how many of you are, say, amen, and how many of you say, amen? Who's the all-meners? Are there all-meners in here? There's all-men. Okay, it's cool. You can admit it. It's cool. All-men. I mean, that's like, it's, that's, uh, what are you doing? Why are you saying, no, I'm just checking. So, all-men, and then the ameners. we got to decide who's what, though, okay? So, so, waiting with expectation. We're still waiting with expectation that we're going to get these tumblers in. They're going to be great, though. Um, so, good times. Um, so anyways, as we continue this series today, we're going to talk about joy, uh, but two weeks ago, and if you didn't listen, I just encourage you to listen to the podcast. Two weeks ago, we talked about what biblical hope is, and what does that look like, and how does that differ from optimism, where optimism is circumstantial and biblical hope is eternal, and it's based on a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. Right? And then we talked last week, we talked about peace, and in the Old Testament Hebrew, shalom, and in the New Testament Greek, irene. And what it means is, it doesn't just mean this absence of conflict, it means that in the absence of conflict, there is something better that takes its place. Again, that is Jesus. And what I hope that we're understanding is that these things are eternal, Right? <clears throat> Hello. All right? These things are eternal. They aren't just these passing things. It's not passing hope. It's not passing peace. It's not passing joy. That there is an eternality to what we're talking about here. And so last week, I was headed home um, from church, 
with my youngest daughter, and we were stopped at a railroad crossing. And sometimes when you're stopped at a railroad crossing, you're like, dude, are you kidding me? I had nowhere to be, though, but home and the couch. And so I was like, oh, this is kind of cool, you know, I was sitting there, and train's coming by, you know, and we're up, we have front row seats. Uh, I actually, there was a car here, I got over so we could be closer, right? And so there's just something about when a train's coming by, and you're in your car, and you're doing this, and you're like, that's heavy. So I look, for the first time in 40 years, I started observing the cars, now, you do that too much, you're going to end up passed out on your dashboard, so not recommended, but it, it's going by, and I'm looking, and I'm like, whoa, I noticed two numbers on the front of each of one of these cars, and the numbers were like unloaded weight, right, or empty weight, which was the average of about 62,000 pounds, and the loaded max weight, which was about 203,000 pounds. And I'm like, holy cow. So, you know, you do quick math. That train's about this big. Okay. So this particular train that passed by was anywhere from about 3.1 to 10.1 million pounds. And I was like, whoa. Okay. I'm like, so I tell my daughter this, and she gives me a look like she couldn't care less what I just said. She's like, okay. I'm like, well, I am sorry. So I make this observation, and my observation is this. Trains carry an amazing amount of weight, and they are heavy. Let's pray. God, open our eyes to see you and the things that you are doing. God, I pray that as we talk about joy today, that you would bring your joy, your eternal joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I know that you guys are thinking your thoughts was so profound that trains carry a lot of weight and they are heavy. These are not profound thoughts. But I thought, I kept thinking about it. I arrived home and I just couldn't get away from this train of thought. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay, I was there. I took it. It's more thank you, Rick, for being punny all the time. Okay, um, nod to Rick there. So here's the deal, though. I just, I seriously couldn't stop thinking about this train. So, you know, trains are just cool to me. They've always been cool to me. As a kid, they were cool. Uh, kids, you shouldn't do what I'm about to say, but if you put a quarter down on a train track, it all of a sudden becomes this long, you know? George Washington grows, okay? Why such the long face, George? And so the deal is this. Trains are pretty amazing, though. They carry that much weight. They, and I just kept thinking about this. And I did, so I did a little bit more research. And, you know, I was like, oh, well, you know, what's the max weight of a train? Because, you know, there's all kinds of trains. I didn't realize this, but hey, here you go, newsflash. 
There's trains that are just, you know, they're, they're bringing cars over to another train or they're taking it to the yard. Uh, so that, that typically is like a one engine, you know, is going to just be able to pull those. And then you have like these cross-country trains that are mi- literally miles long that weigh like 27 million pounds. And they don't just stop on a dime. So there's a lot of engineering that goes into this. What is it going to make the grade? All right, this, this slant of the earth, is the train going to be able to make it up? Because that's a good thing if it does. If it doesn't, it's called you're stuck, all right? And you have mile of train behind you, all right? And it doesn't stop. So if we're going to stop in Orlando, I'm going to start planning that way before Orlando, all right? And so I thought about this a lot more, and, and here's what the real deal is, and these thoughts aren't significantly profound, but it did hit me like a ton of bricks, is this, that trains are actually designed to do this, and we are not. Because when we talk about weight and the things that we pile on ourselves, that we try to carry alone, we are not designed to do that. And so, which presented me with two problems and the first problem was this, you weigh yourself down with things that, are you, that you are not designed to carry by yourself, right? And uh, Jesus talks about this in Matthew 11, uh, 25, where we'll pick up. It says this, at that time, Jesus prayed this prayer, oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And then Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Teach me, or let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. And so I sat, I just want a side note, please. If you don't have wise friends, you need to get them. Where do you find them? Craigslist? I don't know. No. Start talking to people. Listen to the things that they say. See if there's wisdom. And I'm reading through Proverbs right now, and I'm finding, hey, wisdom is important. It's huge. And so I'm sitting with a friend at lunch, and we're talking about this very thing, and he just gives me some some great depth. And then I'm texting another friend about this subject of yoke, of Jesus saying, you know, that uh, my yoke is easy, my burden's light. And, and it's funny, I just had lunch with this guy, and then this guy texts me, and their answers are like almost identical. And I'm like, oh, okay, good stuff. And so we address the problem of carrying all this stuff by ourselves. And I just have to tell you the yoke that we're talking about here. Um, and Jesus is talking about here is it was often found on ox or oxen, all right? And this yoke that was, uh, that was put on them made the work easier because it was, it was usually pairs, 
right? So whether you're carrying a trailer or whether you're plowing the ground, uh, by pairing them, it made it easier. And here's another interesting fact about this yoke is the yoke was the first or the lead ox was an experienced animal, a well-trained animal, and the one that would be yoked with was an apprentice, if you will. Or if we were going to put it in Christian terms, we would call that ox a disciple, that the ox walked beside and worked. And here's what I think that we can do sometimes is this, that we, if you're like me at all, we can begin to stack stuff on, oh yeah, this appointment and that game and I'm going to this and I have this thing to do and also this. Yeah, I can take one more thing. Sure. Oh, two more? Okay, good. Yeah, I don't have enough. Let me just keep piling it on until suddenly you crumble And here's what we can confuse too, that Jesus is saying, my yoke is easy. We can interpret that and we can say, your life is going to be easy. And you have no responsibility, actually. You're supposed to give everything to me and you have no responsibility in your walk. And I just want to stress to you, that is false. And so just what he's talking about is here, Jesus is making a point that when you are yoked to him, the eternal that we can make it through life, and we have a responsibility to walk with Jesus, that He's going to call us to do things that are difficult, but He is taking the lead position. He is the mentor. He is the master, if you will, and we are the subordinate. And now we might think, well, I don't want to be yoked to anything. I just want to be me. Here is the reality of what Jesus is saying to you will be yoked to something. Whether it is your love of religion, what he's talking about here. Oh, great. You love religion. It's so you've taken the law and then you've added 400 and some odd things to it so that you can perfect your religion. And you love tradition more than you love maybe Jesus. Maybe you love the Bible more than you love Jesus. Maybe you love knowledge more than you love Jesus. And we can see this, and I can see it in my own life, is this. If I'm not willing to take the things that are in the Bible and then put them into action, I love the tradition more than I love my relationship with Christ, because Christ is saying, you're going to be yoked to me, and we're going, to go, we're going to walk through this thing together. Now, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I feel like I'm just hanging on to the yoke, and my feet are just dragging. You guys ever feel like that? Is that a thing? Is that just me? And you're like, holy man, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this, but I can make it through, because I'm not carrying. I have a responsibility in this, but these are not mine to carry. I love Jesus's example because he comes alongside people. Think about the 12 that he chose, the disciples. These guys were yahoos, all right? There is no doubt in my mind in this room, there 
are people he would have chosen. Okay? <laughs> Including me, okay? Like, okay, so, and these guys, again, these weren't cloud-bearing people. They didn't float around from one place to the next doing holy things. They were people who struggled. Jesus says, how long is it going to take for you to get it? He walked with them. He walked beside them. He discipled them. Does Jesus promise easy street? Don't confuse the word that he's saying there. Easy like, oh, everything's just going to be great. There are going to be highs and there are going to be lows in the walk with Jesus, but is it, are we moving forward with him? So the reality is this. It's not easy street. The reality is this. You're going to be yoked to something. And here's what Jesus is saying, that to be yoked to Jesus is better than anything else. To be yoked to Jesus is smarter than anything else. It is more life-giving. It is more hopeful. It is more peaceful. It is more joyful. It is more full of love than anything else. When you are yoked to Jesus, you are yoked to the giver of life. And so there's problem number one, but problem number two is just as interesting, I think, and if not more difficult, because problem one uh, is a reality check. Just, hey, you're loading a lot of stuff. You're not supposed to be carrying this on your own. You're supposed to be yoked to Jesus, and we can talk about that and the goodness of that. And then problem number two is this. How do we unload the stuff that is weighing us down? This is one of those where, like, the rubber meets the road type thing, right? We can no longer just say, like, oh, that's great. That's great the theological thought process there. Um, now it's rubber meets the road. How do we unload the things that we have stacked on that we said we can carry on our own? And I love Jesus, the picture of Jesus being so real, right? And it's in, found in Matthew 26. He's in this place called the Garden of Gethsemane. If you guys have read this, you know that, that just um, days later, he's going to be crucified, Okay? And what do we find in Jesus here? I love, first of all, I love how Jesus came along the disciples, okay? He, he walked with them. And then what we find here is just the realness of Jesus, right? Here's Jesus who is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he is crying out to God on his hands and his knees. Uh, one account says that that he was, there was so much going on in him that he was actually sweating blood. Never done. Hey. What is it? I'm kidding. Guys, enjoy. All right. He's sweating blood. I just thinking being that kid, and you're like, I'm never doing that again. Um, and so, and so, was it? I don't know. I didn't get a good eye on the blonde hair kid, um, so I didn't, I don't know, no, I don't know who it was, um, who cares, so, and so that kid's always wanted to do that, though. I remember throwing rocks at my pastor's window, too, 
And he came out and he said, who was that? And my best friend and I were like, no clue. Don't know. So anyways, Jesus is here. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is under this, this pressure, right? And he says this. He says, God, if you can take this from me, will you do it? But not my will be done, but yours. And so what we see in this example is we see this submission as the Jesus, the incarnate Jesus, the one who came to earth. He says, no, not my will be done. But did you hear in that the preference is, if there's a way that you can take this from me, would you do it? But not my will be done. I love this example because here's Jesus once again, and this is themed throughout the entire gospel is this, the gospels is this, that that Jesus continually goes and he is wanting to be with the Father. He's wanting to spend time with the Father. And what I want to encourage you this morning, this, if we want our lives to reflect that of Jesus, if we want to reflect God, if we want to reflect the Holy Spirit, we better be spending time with God Almighty. Guys, no longer will this work anymore. Put this under your pillow, sleep on it, and all of a sudden we know everything. Here's what else will not work. Read through it. Read through it in 90 days. I'm doing a 90-day reading of the Bible. It's probably going to be 120 if I'm being real. There's miss, I've missed some days, people, okay? Yesterday being one of them, all right? And so, but I'm doing this and, I, and I'm learning through the process is this, that, oh my gosh, this is just full of wisdom. Well, do we have to read the Bible? I'm just going to say this. Yes. Do it. And not for brownie points or stars or whatever. For You're putting yourself in a position. You're saying, God, you've inspired this. I want to know it. I want to know it in my heart. I want to know the wisdom that you have to offer through it. And here's what you'll get. You'll get to the point of transformation where you come to a point and you say, God, can you take this from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Jesus is experiencing the reality of what is about to happen. And if you're like me, you have gone through things maybe in this year that you never, they were never on your radar. You didn't see it coming, but it, it, it was there and it happened and you experienced it and you are wondering, God, where are you in this? I cannot possibly be joyful in this, but the reality is that God works in a reverse economy, that Jesus is our model, that if Jesus can cry out to God and say, God, would you please take this from me, but not my will, but yours be done, the model is this, that our lives are not our own, but they are in fact found in Jesus. That, that through the reverse economy, that daily death to yourself actually brings joy. Now listen, you might have a 92-inch TV awesome. You might have a new car, 
great. You might be remodeling a kitchen that's not done yet. (laughs) But here's the deal. Is that stuff... Is that, your, is that where you're finding joy or trying to find joy? I'm going to be honest with you. If you have a TV that big in your house and I don't get a Super Bowl game invite, I don't like you, all right? Those are, okay, great. But if that's the center of your joy, you're wrong. If adding more square footage onto your home comes before giving, you're wrong. If the center of joy is found in your brand new car, you're wrong. And if you're thinking about getting a Tesla truck, that's ugly. (laughs) Don't buy that Lego. But seriously, Is the center of your joy found in the things that you're accumulating, or is your joy found in Christ? If you have a 92-inch TV, and you can afford it, and you got it, and it's there, great. But the things that we have to ask is, what is it really costing us? When those things become the center of our joy, where we try to squeeze out of everything that we can get our hands on, we try to squeeze the joy out of it, but we we are remiss because we're not focusing on the one thing that can give us joy and give us true joy. I think it's amazingly ironic, though, that you, through, through discomfort and pain, you can find joy. You ever met somebody that is going through, let's just say cancer, they're fighting cancer, and you walk in the room, and the expectation that you have and you went when was, I am going to spend the next hour crying, and they greet you, and they're like, oh, hey, what's up, man, it's so good to see you, they're talking, they're smiling, they're laughing, and you're like, What? Or something's going on in their life where it just is really just something that's weighing and you feel like they should be responding in this certain way, but they're responding with this, oh yeah, I mean, God's got it under control. I don't understand it all, but God's got it under control. Through pain and discomfort, we can find joy. Through highs and lows, we can find joy. Right, because even in the valleys... And the peaks, we know this, that there's a steadiness that's going through. There's an eternal hope, an eternal peace, an eternal joy that's found in Jesus that doesn't stop no matter what the circumstance is. So in every season of life, Jesus is joy. In every circumstance of life, Jesus is hope. And in every circumstance of life, Jesus is peace and Jesus is love. And I want to say today that also we walk together in life. 
A church is not just a place where people go and they gather and they write checks and all they want is money. It is a place where we go and we find eternal hope. If we leave here today and all we're doing is having a country club meeting and paying the dues to be part of the country club, then let's stop meeting now. And let's go somewhere where we can actually lean into a community and make a difference, where we can lean on one another, where we can call on one another, where we can treat each other like brothers and sisters, where we can go to each other if we have a problem with each other and we can, we can confront and we can, we can help each other. Because that is the design of the church. Who wants to be part of something that looks like everything that you're just trying to get away from? We should come to a place where people are in all kinds of places. They're on highs and lows. There are on places where they are maybe sitting up here and they cannot sing the song that's on the screen, but there are people that surround them that can sing in intercession for them. That's what the church is. There should be 57 people that we are just praying for. It's not about, oh, they're going to get gifts. It's about, Jesus, would you intersect their lives? You gave us an opportunity to give Holy Spirit, would you come on Christmas morning and be in that room and bring everlasting change? Would you, would, you, would you do something in their hearts, God, that they would respond to the invitation to come uh, to one of our services here? Not because we have cool stuff, because you are present and you change and you give hope and joy and peace and love. You know, some people say, well, why is I just don't think it's important to show up on Sundays. I do. Well, yeah, you, run, you like lead this place. You better be here. All right? I'm with you. Some Sundays, I don't want to come either. Okay? Can we be real? But you know why we show up? We show up because what, what if? What if there's a response? What if one of those families comes? presence of God to show up. We want to surround these people with the love of Jesus Christ. And so what I'm praying for is that, that we would be yoked to Christ. That he would be our lead. That we would begin, oh, okay, I, I, have, a, I have a deal in this, though. Like, he's calling me to do, do stuff. And that as our lives are transformed, that, that we become more like Jesus. And in that, we find this eternal joy that, that you can't take away no matter what. So if you would, stand with me. Again, who cares what your hands or anything are positioned as? It's more like a position of your heart. That you say, God, just help me uh, to receive from you. I want to receive from you. And so, and that's what we like to do when we pray is this, that, that we're in a position where we can receive. If, you're t if it's your hands that are open, fabulous. If they're behind your back, if you're sitting down, God knows what you're doing, okay? But here's what I want to ask this question is this. 
How many of you in this room feel like your joy has been robbed, taken from you? Just be honest. Like, you can raise your hand like no one would, okay? Anyone else? You feel like that. This is a good time to be real. We're not, I'm not calling you up front to do an interview with you and convince you that your joy is still there. I'm asking you. Anybody else? You feel like your joy has been robbed, taken. Okay, so we have one person, all right? So we're going to pray. We're all going to pray together, all right? And the person's name is Barb, so here's a, I'm just going to lead us in that. God, would you come and restore Barb's joy? That it would be found in you, that the, the foundation of her joy would be found in you, that it's not circumstantial, it's eternal. That even through the rough times of life, the times where she is missing mom, would you come and minister? Would you come and bring hope? Would you come and help her to hand over the things that burden her that she wasn't designed to carry by herself? And also I pray for in this room, God, that we would realize that when, when church ends this morning, it's just starting because we're the church and we can do church wherever we are. So I pray this week that you would give us opportunities to be joy to somebody else that doesn't know you. I pray that you would help us to lean into you, lean into our community, to lean into people, to love them well, to take the stuff that's in the Bible and put it into action, God. That we, that we are not just some, you know, superhero. We're only supernatural when you use us. And so, God, we submit our lives to you as we leave these doors today, God. We say, have your way. God, I thank you that in the midst of the journey, we don't have to understand everything. And if we have questions, we can ask them. And I pray that those questions would be asked. I pray that we fall in love with you and not tradition and not religion, but we would fall in love with you, Jesus. God, I thank you that your hope and peace and joy and love are eternal and they are not limited. And I pray that we would fall more in love with you. I pray that we would our joy would be found in you, that the joy of the Lord would truly be our strength. In Jesus' name, amen.